Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. And we welcome our Bloomberg radio and television audience worldwide right now because, yes, we are joined by the CEO of Barclays. He is C.S. Venkatakrishnan. I had practiced that so many times, C.S. So uh, give us a sense of what the merger of uh, Credit Suisse with UBS means for you, for the risks and opportunities you face at Barclays right now. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me here. I think Credit Suisse and UBS's merger has two important consequences. One, for the financial system as a whole, it has stabilized it because a slightly wobbly GCFE bank is no longer there. It's absorbed into UBS in a very solid transaction. The second is, as UBS develops its business model, it will be, for Barclays, both an important client for our markets business and a competitor for us in investment banking. Uh, but that's the way all large banks are with each other these days. So, so tell me about your business model overall. My, my sense has been you've been marrying a global investment bank with a very strong retail local presence in England, deposit taking. Is that the essence of your business model? And if so, is it working? So the business model is working. That is the essence with a few important areas of growth and potential for us. So we've got in the UK an at scale, very large consumer business uh, cutting across everything. And then we've got the sixth largest investment bank globally, which is the top investment bank in both banking and markets trading outside of the top five US banks. And that's a business that has been growing and successful in gaining market share. In addition, we've got three businesses which are smaller, important to us, but I think capable of great scaling and growth. One is a wealth business in the UK, a private bank and wealth business. The second is a fantastic cards business here in the US. And then the third is a UK and European merchant acquiring payments business, where we're the only bank in the UK that both issues credit cards and does acquisition of payments. Megat, how, how do you keep score? I mean, uh, one way we look at it is price to book. And your price to book right now is somewhere around 0.44. You're lagging behind most of your competitors. Do you pay attention to price to book? And if so, how do you get that price to book back up? So I pay a lot of attention to price to book. It's, it's probably the single most important metric for a bank. And a bank's price to book is dependent on one of two things, improving the quality of your assets or improving your profitability. We have excellent assets. So it's our profitability and the scaling of our profitability that we are focused on. So within the UK consumer business and the investment bank, as I said, we are at scale and we look to continue to perform well. And then the other three businesses are areas where we would like to grow our scale. Our investment bank is about 60% of the bank. In a way, it's been very successful. And what we would like to do is, while keeping its momentum, growing the rest of the bank outside of the investment bank. How much of the investment bank are the bankers that you have? Because you have had some exodus to, to Jefferies, to other places, uh, and you've remarked about it, actually. Yeah. What is the issue there? Why are you losing investment bankers? Are you losing the ones you want to lose? So, first of all, we are losing a few investment bankers, but not that much more than what is normal annual turnover. I mean, this is the period in the first few 
months of the second quarter when people have been paid their bonuses and there's a little bit of musical chairs, as you know. Mm -hmm. It's a time-honored tradition in this industry. Uh, we made a management change in our investment bank. We spent a lot of time last year thinking about what we expected the banking landscape to be over the next decade. So what you've seen is rising interest rates, changing business models, the importance of sectors that are fairly new to the economy, not just technology, but sustainability, mobility, climate tech. And then there is just the different players and the importance of the players in the banking market. The private equity groups have been very large. Private credit funds are becoming bigger. They are slightly disintermediating what banks are doing. And we, as we began with a very American investment bank here in the US based from the Lehman acquisition of Barclays, and we've grown in Europe, we wanted to put more emphasis in Europe as well. So you bring it all together, and you're talking about us thinking about the next generation of leadership of the investment bank. Building on our strengths in debt capital markets, but growing in equities, growing in M&A, growing in Europe. And when you do that kind of organizational change, sometimes it has impacts. Well, you suggested something I was curious about. Is, is there a strategic shift in emphasis in the investment bank a little bit away from the United States and toward Europe? Because as I recall, your two co-heads before were based in the United States. The two co-heads now are going to be based in Europe. One is in Europe and one is here in the US. So the, this, it's not a shift so much as an expansion. It is to try to give more attention to Europe, relatively speaking. The US remains critically important to us, and the US businesses are some things, especially in the debt capital markets, where we are absolutely leading, and we want to maintain that position. Uh, absolutely leading in debt capital markets. What about equity? Are you shifting toward equity? We are trying to expand and grow our business in both equities and advisory. Uh, so talk about the U.S. business specifically. You mentioned it before, particularly the credit card business. Uh, I think a lot of people don't appreciate how big Barclays is in the United States. How do you describe your business in the United States? Yeah. We have what is called a partnership credit card business. So if you've got a JetBlue credit card, it's actually Barclays inside. So we don't market directly to consumers. It's what they call B to B to C from Barclays to businesses and through businesses to consumers. So we've got a few very large important corporate clients we, and we manage their credit card businesses for them. Ultimately, we've got 20 million customers and it's about the number five partnership business in the US. But we, we spend a lot of time uh, trying to make that business better and I think we have a unique model because we don't otherwise really have a retail presence in the US. So what we're trying to do is work with our partners in this credit card business to make their relationship with their customers strong. Given your insight into the credit card business in the United States, what do you make of the economy and the consumer? I mean, are you seeing delinquencies rise? Are, are you seeing some tightening of credit? Uh, no. So we're seeing, just on the margins, some increase in delinquencies. We're seeing people continuing to economize. We see that in the UK as well as in the US. The most important thing is that employment is holding up. And employment is one of the most important determinants of individual credit behavior. So. Uh, when you look at U.S. expansion, where would you be expanding if you're expanding the United States? I would love to grow our credit card business even more. Mm -hmm. And then our investment banking and trading businesses, as I said, we are the largest non-US bank, but there's always room to increase our market share and our reach. There's been a little bit of the shaking up, if I can put it that way, of the US banking system with some of the regional banks, starting with Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, what do you make of that situation more broadly? Do you expect more bank failures in the United States? I, I'm not sure I expect failures. What I expect is concerns and banks 
cleaning up their act, if you like. So banks which have asset liability problems will go get ahead of it. They will try to sell assets. I think the net effect of it will be a curtailment or diminishment of lending, especially in middle America where the regional banks have a footprint. Are you tightening your credit standards right now? So the big banks, I think, all tightened our wholesale credit standards through the leveraged finance business last year. And uh, you know there were many large loans. Some didn't get placed. And so the, the wholesale banks, with rising rates, tightened their credit standards. The retail standards, we have tightened it. But they are marginally tighter than they were, say, during COVID. I think what you're going to see in the regional banks is a tightening of credit standards in areas like commercial real estate, small business lending, the things that they do. So you said the magic words, commercial real estate. How exposed is Barclay commercial real estate, first of all? Not very much. We, uh, we do some direct lending in the UK, but it's small. And in the US, we mostly finance vehicles or portfolios of commercial real estate assets. Uh, but we you know, have adequate protection in, in, in terms of first loss protections and uh, loan to values. There are some fairly substantial assets that probably have not been marked to market yet, particularly in the real, commercial real estate area. What is the likely effect of that to be on the banking system in the United States, but also more broadly in the economy? So I think two things will happen. As they get marked down, some lenders and some investors will be exposed. Hopefully, it's equity investors and people who invest in them through hedge funds or private equity vehicles. Then there will be banks who might get exposed. And then ultimately, I think, as in all real estate cycles, there will be a surplus of supply, meaning empty buildings. And then over time, that will adjust itself. We're about to hear from the Federal Reserve this week, as well as the European Central Bank, as well as the Bank of England. Uh, How do the increased rates, the higher rates, affect Barclays? Does that help your business, hurt your business? What are the variabilities there? So it helps the business and most banks in terms of what we call our net interest margin, Mm -hmm. which is the money we make. Uh, by lending, um, um, lending our money. The, where it hurts us is in the change in interest rates. It can unsettle business models, and that's what you're seeing as people adjust to higher rates and higher inflation. And then at that point, deal volume tends to shrink. On the other hand, if there's a lot of volatility, our trading businesses do well. It strikes me that you, are a, a, you have been a credit risk manager uh, back at J.P. Morgan, and then as you went over to Barclays, you know how to manage risk, control risk. We've seen a fair amount of risk recently coming from odd places. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein with respect to private uh, wealth. Uh, we've seen it just with Crispin O'Day over in the U.K. with prime brokerage. You're pretty big in prime brokerage. We saw before with Archegos. How do you manage for very, very large clients like that who... Um, I'll put it, go off the rails. Yeah. David, it's a very difficult question. It's a very important question. At the heart of our business, we are dealing with people. And assessing the people, know your client, as they say, is really important. I think, on the one hand, we like to see successful people and work with them. We also believe in, generally, we believe in the goodness of human character, and we believe in human redemption. On the other hand, you've got to be fairly clinical about the reputational risks some of these people pose to our businesses. So I think it's important to assess your client when you onboard them and assess them periodically and be very hard-nosed if there's bad news. I want to come back, if I could, refer to something you said. When we talk about price to book, you said it's really profitability. That's the question. My experience is you get profitability up one of two ways, maybe both, which is increase the top line uh, or cut the costs. For Barclays, where is the greatest opportunity? Is it cutting costs? Is it increasing the top line? Or do you have to do both? 
So first of all, we're a very profitable bank. We just need to be more profitable. <laughs> uh, and we've had many, many quarters of successive and continuous profitability. I think we have to do both. I think there are opportunities in the business where, as I said to you, there's an opportunity for top-line growth in certain businesses. And I think in this environment, you've got to be cautious on costs, and particularly how much scaling you can get from technology in our consumer businesses. It's something we've been doing a lot in the UK. Well, what about the technology? Last question, AI. We hear a lot about generative AI. What does that hold out for Barclays as potential opportunities? Tremendous potential in how you service your clients, how you produce documents, and, and how you sort of manage the business. Equally, we are a large regulated institution with very strict controls over information. So we've got to make sure we use it in the right way. Are there particular challenges in Europe when it comes to that? Yes. So GDPR is an issue yeah. in Europe. But I think more generally, consumer protection laws are a little more cautious, and we've got to be sure that we adhere to all of that. It's fascinating. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Venkat. It's great to have you with us. That is C.S. Venkatakrishnan. He is Barclays' CEO. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.